0: The Be Here Now Network invites you to join Jack Kornfield, Tara Brock, and some of today's leading mindfulness meditation instructors for a two-year mindfulness meditation teacher certification program. Get the training you need to guide others in their journey with a powerful online training course and in-person teaching events. To learn more, visit BeHereNowNetwork.com GetCertified.
1: Ram Saracha Patulitha Valladham Him Shala Vadeham, the Nurjavan of Krishna, Yaninam PANARANAM nama disham Ragupati bhaktam Vat jatam mama Gospad kurto varnam Makshanta, Mundelanka, Lanka, Lanka Sinto, Salila Masalilo, Ashoka Wahi, Chana Karma Jaya, the Dalanka. Ranjali Ranjaniam Manojavam Marut Tulia Vega Chitendriya Udhimatam Burdisham Shri Ram Sharanam Prapadhe Shri Ram Sharanam Prapadhe shri nandaka mane avagan pad vasanam bhave ami pavaman kirtanam tat tatvakam astakanjali lochanam you may not believe
0: this. But there are actually beings out there who know what this is all about. Can you imagine that? No. It's impossible to imagine. There are actually beings on this planet who know what this is all about. Who know what this is. Who know why we're here. Who understand why we suffer why we're not happy, why we don't have what we want in life. And all we have to do is find them and listen to them. Good luck. <laughs> I remember once I was in New Delhi and I was walking across this big circle in the middle of, called Connaught Place, and and, uh, this kid from uh, somewhere in the Midwest wearing a white shirt and a black bow tie and white socks with pants that came halfway up his shins, black shoes, short, blonde, crew cut, big Adam's apple, comes up to me and Ramdas and says, have you met so-and-so, the avatar of the age? <laughs> Ramdas looked at him and said, You wouldn't know an avatar if you tripped over him in the goddamn street. And actually, we wouldn't. We wouldn't. This is a ripening process. This is not college. This is not the master's program in life. This is kindergarten for all of us. And this is like a kindergartner doesn't like learn how to add, learns how to get through the day, you know, alive. And the teachers are there to make sure that the kindergartner doesn't jump out the window or... Bang somebody in the head with a block. That's what this is. We don't even know how to live without creating more shit for ourselves with every step we take. That's what this is about. How do we live a good life? How do we become good human beings? How do we get rid of some of this? How do we deal with some of the fear that we live with? that we breathe in and out every day? How do we overcome all the denial that we have about what's going on in our lives and in the lives of the people around us? Aren't you glad you came today? (laughs) It's going to be one of those days, Neen. I was in a good mood today. I don't know what happened. (laughs) Change the channel. So we've just been chanting. And true to form, we don't know what the hell we were doing. What we were chanting to or what, we were, what the names mean. or You know, we don't have a clue. That's okay. That's the way it's supposed to be. You do a practice. You, you take an antidote to, a, 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 to some disease, a medicine. You don't need to know how it works for it to work. You just believe that the person who gave it to you knows it's going to work, and you take it. And it works, and you're, you're cured. So, we just begin to apply an antidote to our particular... Uh, our particular existential situation, which is, we're asleep on our feet. We, we, we react like ping-pong balls and pool table balls all day long. We bounce off of people. We, we, people bounce off of us. We never know. See, you can't stop me.
1: I'm not trying. Let's
0: change the channel again. I think the same programmers got a hold of the TV. Okay. Okay, so here's what, how these things work. Every they say, uh, this comes from a, you'll notice when I say they say, that means that I don't know, but they say. <laughs> Which I say they say most of the time. So they say that every repetition of one of these names, because what we've been chanting is what they call called names of God, the names of the divine or the divine name. Why is it divine? Because it's pretty cool, that's why. Because it's beyond the intellect. So, and the emotions and any of our usual ways of getting information in the universe. So, any, every repetition of one of these names, which we've all been repeating, is like a seed. Like a seed. Every one, every single repetition even mentally, is like a seed that's planted. And in this case, the seed gets caught by the wind, right? Hey. Gets caught by the wind, and it gets blown way out into the middle of the jungle. And there's this old house in the middle of the jungle. And um, this house has a roof made of tiles, clay tiles. But in those days, and the saint who told this story is from the 1800s, so in those days, the the tiles weren't uh, made in a kiln, they were just dried in the sun. They were hard, but they weren't like really permanent, you know, or so-called permanent. So one of these seeds of the name gets blown by the wind and lands on the roof of this house, and it gets caught between the tiles. And it lays there. It just stays there. The sun beats down, the wind comes, the rain, the snow, everything comes and goes. And over many years of time, the uh, the tiles begin to break down and, and back to earth. And as they soften, the seeds take root, and they start to grow. Right? The seed of the name that we rep- repeated was caught by the wind lands on the roof of an old house, gets caught between the tiles. Years go by, the tiles begin to break down. The seeds start to grow, and they destroy the roof of the house. And they keep growing, and they destroy the whole house. Ramakrishna, who said this, told this, uh, said that uh, that house that's destroyed by the seeds of the name that grow is who we think we are. Who we think we are. Who we know ourselves to be in the world, in our daily lives. Now, there's this house, which is obviously a temporary structure. We're fairly temporary. Most of us don't last more than 100 years at the most. This temporary structure divides the space, inside and outside, you and me, your house, my house, right? When the house is gone, all there is is open space, presence, being. The illusion of the belief that we were that house is gone with the house. Somebody like Maharaji, my guru, he hadn't seen a house in so many years, I don't even know if he knew what it was anymore. He lived in this presence, in this vast space in which we all, right now we're all sitting in that. But each of us is sitting in our own little bubble of me. You're you, you're you, you're you, you're you, I'm me, right? Right? That's too bad <laughs> for us because this me, this planet of me is, is what all the stuff revolves around, all the thoughts, all the suffering, all the unhappiness, and even the good stuff, the pleasant stuff, which is also temporary, revolves around this planet of me. So, through the practice of this repetition of the name, gradually but inevitably, this me, which is the center of all our issues, is dissolved. And then, all there is, is whatever you want to call it. God, Buddha nature, love, truth, being, presence, reality. We're not gone. We just know ourselves in a different way. It's not nothing. When, you, when, you, when me disappears, and when, it, it's not nothing. It's everything. It's, so. so one thing is that you notice that Ramakrishna doesn't talk about what we feel like while we're doing these practices. Right? Wow, that was a great kirtan. Oh, really? I'm sorry to hear that. It isn't about our experience right now. That's a me thing. People ask me all the time, what do you experience when you sing? I say, how am I supposed to know? I'm not, that's not what I'm paying attention to. The minute I notice I'm not chanting fully, I come back and I release whatever I was lost in temporarily. And that's how the practice works. Most of us are sitting here thinking most of the time while we're chanting, remembering, planning, fantasizing, whatever we do, usually we just keep doing here. But we've added a practice to the moment. We've added a spiritual practice to the moment. And that changes everything. And the more we do the practice, the more it changes everything. And what it changes is how we sit in ourselves, how we receive information as the day goes by, how we react to something that previously we might have thought somebody was being critical of us, and we might have closed down or got angry. We actually might get a vote at that moment of how to, to see that. And we might notice, well, that person Maybe he's got a migraine today, you know? Maybe it's not about me at all. And there's some space in there. And that we get a little bit more spacious inside so that we go through our lives in an easier way. Everything's not on the line every moment, every day, with everyone we meet. And when we look in the mirror, we don't see that zit over there, you know? That's the only thing we can see is that zit. Can't see that our hair happens to look pretty good today, and we just lost 10 pounds and we're looking pretty hot. No, we see the zit. You know? We can't let go of that goddamn zit, you know? All, and then we go outside with the zit, you know? Hi, how are you? She's looking at my zit, I know it. <laughs> and we get no vote about that. No vote. Wouldn't it be nice to get a vote about it? How we live, how what our, our experiences on a daily basis. Be nice to have some say in the situation, since we seem to be here a little bit once in a while, on alternate Fridays for a day and a half, for a minute and a half. So practices, and what does this have to do with opening the heart? Well, I hate to tell you, opening the heart has nothing to do with feeling groovy. You know, if you're ah like,
1: oh, such a great kirtana.
0: That's nice, but it'll pass. Get over it. What doesn't pass is you. What doesn't pass is the one that's having that experience. When your heart is open, it means you're present. And everything when your heart is wide as the world, like Sharon wrote the book and I stole the title. When your heart is as wide as the world, there's room for everything to to come through, pass through, and open you're you're right there with everything, not just the pleasant stuff and pushing away the unpleasant stuff. It doesn't that's not gonna work. It's not a good strategy. But the pro, but you know, what do we do if, if the unpleasant stuff blows us up and we and you know into a million pieces and, and we don't get any vote? Well that's why we have to do practice. I'm sorry, but you have to. You don't have to. But if you want to ever have any chance of being happy, you better fucking do it. Sorry. Uh, Let me wash my mouth out. Well, didn't work. It's in my mind yeah, you gotta, I'm sorry, you gotta. And, and, you know, most of you, since you're silly enough to be here on such a beautiful day, um, you're probably doing some kind of practice already, which is good. Good. But can you imagine that there really are beings who... who really know? And, and, you know, recently I've been going back and reading little bits of these holy books that I have all over my shelves. I have thousands of books that I never read. And I pick up a book and I read it and I go, Oh, yeah, right. might be true, what they write in those books. I put it back. You know, unless we're ready for it, we, we we just don't focus on things. We don't see things unless we're, we're ready to get that message. You might go to the same, you might read the same book over and over and it'll be only finally one day that you go, Oh, wow, that's what that means. Because you were ready. Something happened in between the times. And what makes us ready is these practices. But while you're doing the practice, don't try to understand it. Don't try to evaluate it. Don't try to sit back in there and go, wow, this is really good. That's just another thought. Let it go. Come back. Come back. Come back again and again and again. If you're really paying attention, you'll come back 40 billion times in one Sri Ram Jai one line of Sri Ramayana, if you're really paying attention. And that's very humbling, isn't it? It's not much different for me, and I've only been doing this for 40 years. It's not much different. A little different than when I started, but not that much. But it's different enough to, for me to know that I'm moving in the right direction. Did I just say not to evaluate? Yes. <laughs> what can I tell you? And, and one of the reasons I know is I spend less time giving myself a hard time. I mean, really. I don't even think about it that much because I don't think I can handle it, thinking that I actually don't give myself such a hard time. So I give myself a hard time about that you know but i don't give myself a hard time about that way out there on the edge of reality i'm not giving myself a hard time everything else is pretty much the same but way out there it's not so bad can you imagine if we if 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 we didn't give ourselves such a hard time what life would be like wow it's hard to imagine because we're trained in this, you know, from day one, if not before, how to give yourself a hard time. It's, it's, this is what school on earth is for most of us. How many ways can I hate myself? Hmm. Let me count the ways. One time uh, I was in the temple in India and... Um, you know, I'm very close with this one particular family, with many families. Not many, but a few. One of them is the Tiwari family, and I'm, I, I was kind of, I was led into this family. <laughs> and I kind of became their, the oldest son in the family, and with Mr. and Mrs. Tiwari. And they were both my teachers, and without them I wouldn't be alive, you know. And all the, the other kids, the three other kids, treated me like their older brother. So now, their grandparents, they become grandparents, those kids. It, you know, that's horrible. <laughs> it's like people go to the, the hotel where we stayed at, which is run by the devotees, you know, and they said, Oh, the men who run the hotel are so nice. I said, The men who run the hotel, they died 20 years ago. Oh, you mean the kids? You know, these kids have grown up. They're men now. So the people who come to India now, for the first time, they meet the men who ran the hotel. Anyway, so uh, the, all these cousins and nephews and everything, like 15 of them, came to the temple for blessings. One of The oldest grandchild was getting married. And uh, I happened to be in the back of the temple sitting with Siddhima, who's Maharaji's great devotee. And they all came to the back to see her, and we're, they were all sitting around. and there was so much love among these cousins, right? I have one cousin, and he hasn't talked to me for 50 years. <laughs> and his father didn't talk to my father. So here were all these cousins, and like, it was like, a love fest, right? And my jaw was hanging out. I, and Ma looked at me and laughed and she said, You see, Krishna Das? You see? This is what you missed being born in America. Right. Family life. You know, there's actually functional families there. I know. It's hard to believe. This is called the hard-to-believe workshop.
1: <laughs> they
0: really are, you know. I had no idea there actually was such a thing. All right, let's uh, take some questions and stuff. Do we have a microphone? We have a microphone. One or two. One? So we'll pass it around. If you have something to ask or say or comment, you can raise your hand and Michael will throw the mic at you. Come on. I'll be forced to berate you more. Somebody from the web? We are webbing. We are streaming this today. Oh, a really easy question from somebody on the internet. Any advice on overcoming addiction? Excuse me, I just have to go shoot up first and uh... <clears throat> uh, I get this i get there's a lot of this going around you know and um i'm about uh, thirty I'm about thirty years removed from my uh my time being an addict Um, I was oh stop (laughs) this isn't a fucking AA here (laughs) maybe I'm lying that'd be more familiar so um You know, it's just the problem is we've been we've been programmed, you know, by life, and uh, with such self hatred and such self loathing, and we've been so crippled, and and we've also been taught by our culture, by Western culture, that there's nothing more in life than this. You make money, you get laid, get a house, and you die. That's it. And so if that's not working so good one day, what else do you do? Or if your life's not working within those parameters, it gets pretty messy. You can get pretty depressed about that because we have no context for life. And even those of us who are doing some practice and have tripped and fallen into the Dharma into the you know, spiritual practices, we're still very young at it and trying to develop some real uh, working, um, some real way to work with life in a, in a way that leads us to a richer, deeper place in our own beings. What I'm saying is that we really don't have any faith. 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 That's one of the words that makes Westerners puke. Faith. Because, you know, we associate it with blind faith, which is a whole other thing. This is faith based on your own experience. You could even call it confidence that something is true. Like we started today, I said, there are people who really know what life is about. And they all say that life is Definitely worth living. But we have to wake up. We have to wake up.
1: I have a question. Sorry.
0: What about that poor guy who's strung out on the internet? You Don't, don't you care about him? No. Sorry. We'll get back to you. Hang in there. Yes.
1: Can you talk about more about Maharaji and um, when did you know for sure that he was that that being that you said that knows what it's all about? I know you write this about in your book mm-hmm. a few times. You had that feeling, but can you say a little more? Thank you.
0: Okay. I am talking about Maharaji to this gentleman, too. So we'll get, we'll get to all that. I got strung out on cocaine after I had met Maharaji. Isn't that interesting? I didn't have the balls to get strung out when I was young. I had to wait until I had enough inner strength <laughs> to get strung out, to get addicted but actually, I got addicted to stuff because I had lost, from myself, my side, I felt I had lost my connection with him and with everything that was good in life and that I would never be happy again. And I couldn't live with that feeling. I needed to numb that feeling out. I guess, looking back, maybe that's some part of it. And... Uh, So that's not being able to live with the fact that he had left the body and left me here with all my shit. And I was unable to deal with it. I didn't know how to deal with my own stuff. And I didn't know how to deal with the fact that the only being that I'd ever been with that had really, I had been happy in a way that I had never known before, and who had loved me in a way that I had never been loved, was now gone. And I couldn't live with that. And so I don't think it's that different for anyone, for any one of us. If we have no hope, if we live in despair like I was living in despair, what are the options? Why should you grind through every day when you have no hope that it'll ever change, if you can get some relief from a drug or from some type of uh, addictive behavior, there's nothing wrong with that, ultimately wrong. The problem is it doesn't really work and it creates terrible suffering for you and everyone in your life. But there's nothing wrong. I mean, it's not like it's right and wrong. I don't think there's anything that's right and wrong, ultimately. But things cause suffering and pain, and some things don't. So you could say that was right and wrong. So... I knew a lot of of guys and a lot of people who didn't make it. Uh, I knew this one uh, Vietnam vet who uh, he used to to get strung out on coke and stand in front of the mirror and pick shrapnel out of his skin because it was circulating through his body and um, and it would come up and he would just scratch his skin he had sores all over and he would take that to a certain point and then he couldn't bear anymore. And so then he would switch over to heroin. And then he'd be strung out on heroin for a while. And then he'd go back to the coke and start scratching again. And then he died. He was a beautiful guy. Beautiful. He'd cured himself of cancer. He had cancer from some of the stuff that Agent Orange or something like that that was sprayed on everybody and now. But he came back and he cured himself from cancer with, uh, with juices and stuff like that. And here he was in front of a mirror in the lower east side scratching his face up. And beautiful, beautiful being. He didn't die of the drugs. He died of no hope. He died of despair. But through the drugs he lost the vote. Completely. But he felt he had no vote. So what are you going to do? Right? There's no easy answer. My mother was an alcoholic. And uh, she was clean for the last 20 years of her life. But she lived in fear. She's dying of cancer and she wouldn't take an aspirin. She wouldn't take any painkillers. She was afraid she'd get addicted. She had a week to live, and she was afraid she'd be addicted. Is that reasonable? I don't know. Doesn't seem reasonable to me. So these are not easy questions. Maharaji said to us, don't smoke hash. If you smoke hash, your, whole, your health will go down. And if smoking hash would get you to God, I, we'd get a big room and fill in hash, and I'd go in with you, and we'd smoke forever. <laughs> but it doesn't work. The bottom line is it doesn't work. What do you mean it doesn't work? What, what work doesn't it do? It doesn't relieve our suffering permanently. You see, that's what we don't understand, that there really is a way to live without fear, to live without pain, to live without guilt, to live without shame, to live without selfishness and greed. We're so locked up by this stuff, we can't imagine what life would be without it. And then you hear about somebody or you meet somebody who knows how to do that and is doing it. And it's like, my goodness so for most of us we're still a step uh, one bump away from that we haven't met these beings but we've heard about them and what it did to me when I first heard about them was it, it lit me up in a kind of a, I just remember something. so I just had my 50th high school reunion yeah thank you <laughs> I'll take applause for that any day. I lived 50 years even after getting out of high school. So there I am at this reunion, and I'm one of the guys there. A couple of years after high school, he scored all this acid, this LSD. It was still legal then. And he scored this pure acid from Sandoz, the company in Switzerland that made it, right? Absolutely pure, the best, right? And he scored some. So two years after high school, so I met him. And I got 10 little capsules from them of this acid. When I took the first cap, I was in college. I was at college. I, had a, I was going to classes. I had a job in the library. I was playing basketball. And, you know, thing life was going on. By the 10th hit, I was living alone in the mountains of Pennsylvania with my dogs and my cat. <laughs> it just moved me. Out of life into a whole other thing, and from there I met Ramdas, blah blah blah. So I said this to the guy, and he looked at me and he said, Wow, I took thousands of hits and never got off a of Long Island.
1: <laughs> what can I tell you? <laughs> oh
0: man. If I had taken thousands of bits, they'd be scraping me off of Pluto or something like that. I didn't So I didn't answer you, and I didn't answer you, so I'm not going to answer anybody. I just keep... Yeah. You have something from the internet? Oh, this is very nice. Oh, it's one of these. I could tell. Give me an easy one, would you please? Let me. This reminds me. I once had a teaching with His Holiness the Dalai Lama. Five days, he was talking about compassion and the teachings of this saint named Shanti Deva, who wrote this incredible book about uh, the bodhisattvas, with these great beings who live only to to relieve our suffering, to save us from ourselves. Right. And so he's teaching about this compassion, day after day. So finally, the last afternoon, he took questions. The questions were written by the audience and sent up. And the translator was hand them, would read the question to him. So one question was, Your Holiness, I did something that hurt somebody once. But I've, and I've apologized, but they won't accept my apology. I keep apologizing over and over, but no matter what I do, they won't accept my apology. What should I do? Now, remember, this is a teaching on compassion. So this guy's trying to, he's trying to, he's apologizing, but he's not getting forgiven, and he wants to know what he should do. So his holiness says, you keep apologizing. One year, two years, three years, four years, you keep apologizing. If they don't don't accept your apology after that, tell them to go to hell. (laughs) (laughs) So I said, wait a minute. Wait a minute. His Holiness the Dalai Lama does not tell people to go to hell because if he he does, they will. And that's not his job, you know? Send people to hell. What did he really say? So I know Bob Thurman was there, and he's a great uh, devotee of his holiness, and he speaks perfect Tibetan, right? I said, Bob, what did he really say? And he laughed. He said, okay. He said, you will keep apologizing. One year, two years, three years, four years. They don't accept your apology. Tell them to eat shit. (laughs) What can you say, huh? That's, it turns out that telling somebody to eat shit in Tibetan culture is like telling somebody to go to hell in American culture, but still, it's a good one. Oh, okay, I'm trying to avoid this. What? Don't do this one. Oh, thank God. I didn't read it. Ah. Wow, okay. This reminds me of one of the first retreats I ever did. Uh, It was with my friend Barbara Varner, a yoga teacher out in California. I'm from New York, okay, as you know. So there we were in sunny California, and the retreat was starting. Everybody gathered in the room, and I had no idea how it was going to proceed, but Barbara... Asked everybody to sit in a circle. Immediately, I got very tense. We don't sit in circles, in New York. Okay, we we'll sit in a circle, right? Okay, so we're sitting in a circle, and then, God forbid, what did she say? Now we're going to go around the circle, right? You're just like me, you bastards. you just like. Me. We're going to go around the circle, and everybody's going to say why they came to the retreat. I said, get me the fuck out of here. (laughs) I was sitting there smiling, looking very deep and pensive. So the first person was this woman. She said, she opened her mouth, and she said, I just finished my third chemo, my third round of chemo. And they tell me that it's possible that I, I, it, you know, it didn't work. That's why I've come to this retreat. <sighs> All right? We're so lost in our own little worlds, right? When the reality of life shows up, through the suffering, through the pain that we have to endure. It's a shock. I still won't sit in a goddamn circle. (laughs) But um, I broke my heart. I became very close friends with that woman. uh, She died. She died a few years ago. Beautiful death, surrounded by her family, and uh, conscious until the end. And this question is about, I have cancer, and she says, it causes me a great, he or she, I don't know, causes me a great deal of pain. Any advice to help with the pain? The medications aren't enough. Well, I hope that you can find some medication that will help you with the pain. Um, They have so much out there now, I can't believe that... uh, but I know that sometimes it's 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 almost unworkable because of side effects and everything like that. But there are many people these days who teach how to deal with pain, how to how to use meditative practice and mindfulness to process the input from the painful uh, the painful input into the system. There was a saint in India named Nityananda who uh, was Baba Muktananda's guru. And somebody asked him about pain and he said, I feel the same pain that you do, but I just feel it differently. It's, uh, so it is possible to deal with pain. I know quite a few people who have all kinds of pain to deal with, migraines, uh, pains from Lyme disease, cancer, everything. There, there, there are practices and techniques that you can learn that that will definitely help you find a way to deal with the pain. Uh, it won't make the pain go away, but there's a way of reprogramming yourself and your reactions to the actual sensual input of the pain. It takes some work and it takes help. You need to get help to learn that uh, because from somebody who really knows how to teach that. So if you find yourself in that situation, there are ways to deal with that. Unfortunately, I don't know them well enough to, to really share them, but I do, can tell you that you can find a way to deal with it. So that uh, the pain won't overwhelm you totally, like Ramdas. Ramdas has been in a wheelchair for many years now, and he's uh, what he deals with on a daily basis is so extraordinary. The the pain in the body, the discomfort. The hum, the humiliation of not being able to to get up and wipe his own ass. He's got two people who've got to pick him up, take him to the bathroom. He can't turn himself in bed. But if you meet Ramdas right now, all you're going to feel is love that you can't even imagine. Because he has worked so hard, twenty four hours a day. You see. Most of us think, most of us still think there's a way out of this. You know? We think most of us are not dealing with such extreme situations that we have no choice but to deal with it, like this person and like Ram does. So we go through our days kind of like, you know, dodging bullets. We still think there's a way out of this. We could slip out of this without, any, without ever having to deal with anything. No. I'm sorry. It's not that way. And you do practice now to develop the strength and the ability to deal with the shit that is going to hit the fan sometime before you take your last breath. It's going to happen. I'm sorry, Uh, but, you know, that's the way it is. But what we don't understand is actually possible to be happy right now, knowing that life can get pretty grungy sooner or later at any minute. We can still be happy, but the problem is we're not. We're not present now. We don't know how to deal with every day. And we're trying to slip through. It won't work. I think this is going to be one of the retreats we don't put up online, you know?
1: It's already online.
0: Oh, it's already online. Oops. Look, you know, I don't know why it's like this today. I I was in a pretty good mood this morning. (laughs) The thing is, like, the West Western culture is based on a lot of stuff that is completely unreal. Like, what do we value here? Mindless entertainment. Right? I love sports. I watch football. But come on. Mindless. Watching people break their bodies in pieces and get paid amount money for this so they do it. It's terrible. Movies, I love movies. Mindless, most of them. Because I don't want to be here. Nobody taught me how to be here. So I'm trying to be everywhere else. And sooner or later... You get to the point where the movie's over, the game they lost, your team lost, and you're lying in bed late at night, and there's no way to go, except, and your mind is eating you alive. That's why we do practice, so so we know how to work with those situations as they arise, and if we look, they arise every day, over and over again, but we're not paying attention. So, there's a certain amount of not paying attention you can get away with, but sooner or later. So, we do practice to get the strength to fill our hearts with, with good feelings, with the strength of good feelings. There's nothing stronger than this, a, a deep connection to this, to compassion and caring. When you feel that, no matter what you have going on in your life, that compassion pulls you out of your own drama. And you see other people almost for the first time. And you see what's going on in their lives. And it becomes important to you to help, to be of help. And in that moment, you've forgotten, you know, your bad mood. You've forgotten what you are upset about yesterday because you're not thinking about yourself over and over again. Maharaji never gave us practices to do. He knew all the practices, all the meditations, all the all the yoga, all the pranayama, all everything. He knew all that, but he never told us to do that. He encouraged us not to think about ourselves.